So today um, brings us to the halfway point in our Live series. And uh, as we work through, we've been working through the book of Philippians. It's not an overly long book. It's, it's, it's quite, there's a lot in it. There's so much in it. It's an incredibly unique book, the book of Philippians. Um, it was written to the, uh, Paul wrote it to the church of Philippi, Paul and Timothy. Um, but it's a practical book. And it was not written in a response to any ongoing problem or crisis that was happening in the church. But uh, as others were, Galatians was one of those and Colossians was written to fix up or to deal with an issue. But it was dealt with or written for as an encouragement. And it doesn't mean that the church at Philippi didn't have any problems in the church. Paul actually deals with that in chapter 4, one little problem or one little big problem. But it's the primary role of, of Philippians wasn't about that. It was to just encourage the church. And it's also a book that, you know, many of you, and <clears throat> including myself, um, it's got a lot of a lot of uh, memory verses, of verses that uh, are very familiar to us. And we've read a couple of them already. In Philippians 1.6, it says, He who began a good work in us will bring it to completion. Uh, those sorts of things until the day of Jesus Christ. To live as uh, with Christ or to live is Christ, to die is gain. We read that a couple of weeks ago. I can do all things through him who strengthens me is another verse that comes out of Philippians. We're not to Philippians 4 yet, but there's a bunch of them in Philippians 4. And today, uh, we, as we look at Philippians 2, there's another verse. Thank you, Sam. And uh, there's another verse that is uh, going to be a little familiar to us as we, uh, as we read through it. So if you've got your scriptures, you can turn to Philippians 2. We're starting with verse 12. And uh, we'll be reading it. It will be on the screen, but I'll be reading this morning in the New King James Version. So uh, follow along at home or in, or in here. <clears throat> so beginning at verse 12. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Do all things without complaining and disputing that you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world holding fast the word of life so that I might rejoice in the day of Christ, that I may not run in vain or laboured in vain. Yes, and if I'm being poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your faith, I'm glad and rejoice with you all. For the same reason, you also be glad and rejoice with me. But I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly that I, may, that I also may be encouraged when I know your state. For I have no one like-minded who will sincerely care for your state. For all seek their own, not just the things which are of Christ Jesus, but you know his proven character, that as a son with his father, he served me in the gospel. Therefore, I hope to send him at once, as soon as I see how it goes with me. But I trust in the Lord that I myself also come shortly." 
Yet I considered it necessary to send to you Ephroditus, my brother, fellow worker and fellow soldier, but your messenger and the one who ministered to my need since he was longing for you all and was distressed because you heard that he was sick. And indeed he was sick almost until death, unto death. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I sent him the more eagerly that when you see him again, you may rejoice, and I may be less sorrowful. Receive him, therefore, in the Lord with all gladness and hold such men in esteem, because for the work of Christ he came close to death, not regarding his life, to supply that was lacking in your service toward me. May God add his blessing to that as we consider some of those verses today. Now, I just want to put you in the picture a little bit. Most of, if you've been following through on the series, you will have got this. But Paul is writing from, uh, in, he's in chains, in, in house arrest. He's in tr- um, trouble in that regard. So he can't get out and go to places. And so there's a couple of references, one which we've just read about how he's not sure of it, what's going to happen. He's not sure if he's going to be released or he's going to be martyred for his faith. And so that's that, uh, that uh, statement there. He says, I, I hope to be able to come, but as soon as I know what's going on with me, as soon as I understand what's going to happen, I'll, I'll work it through. I'm, I'm praying and, and trusting in the Lord that he'll be able to send me to you. But the underlying unwritten text is that even if he doesn't, we're going to rejoice. So Paul is writing from that context. He's in, under house arrest for his faith. Um, we've just read about Ephroditus, who's um, Paul has sent, but he's been not well either. And it tells us the reason he was not well, it wasn't because he had a flu or a cold or some other thing. It says, again, because of the work, of the, because of his faith. And so we, we need to think, well, what could, well, we don't need to worry about it, but we need to understand that even Ephroditus' health was tied up in this work of faith that Paul was um, using. So I want to just really focus, I guess, for, at least for the majority of this morning on just uh, one verse or two verses perhaps. Uh, we'll be looking at some of the others later, but I, I really want to just help us to understand. We've been looking at what ingredients are necessary to live a Christ-centered life. We've talked about right from the outset that Paul and Timothy classed themselves as bond servants and we looked at what being a bond servant was. Um, It's not just an ordinary servant, although it includes what an ordinary servant does, but a bond servant is a servant who has made the conscious choice to stay or remain with their master even after they've been released or, or had the opportunity to be set free. So it was a conscious choice for this bond servant to stay with their master, maybe because of the, way, the, the good way that he's been treated or she's been treated, the, the opportunity for uh, love and, and honour that the slave has received. There's a lot of ways in which they may have wanted that. They could have been married and their, their family were all part of that anyway. Um, but a bond servant was a, de- a decision, or from a bond servant, the decision was that I want to remain with my master. And Paul aligns that with his relationship with Jesus Christ. I choose to serve Jesus Christ. It's not under compulsion. 
It's not because I've been forced in any kind of way, but I'm choosing to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. And as a result, I will do whatever he asks because I am so grateful for what he has done. That's the underlying context from Paul and Timothy as they introduce themselves as bond servants and a principle for us as, our, as Christians, if we want to be like-minded, if we want to grow in a Christ-like manner, we are to become or act and live as bond servants in, with Christ. Serve him willingly, not under compulsion, but to, to serve him with a wonderful free heart. So I want to just deal with a couple of verses, like I said, and it's, it starts out in, um, where are we going to start? Verse thir- uh, 12, verse 12, the end of verse 12. And Paul talks about in verse 12, you've always obeyed me, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. And the first thing I want to look at is the next phrase, work out your fear, sorry, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. So the first point that you've got on your sermon notes, if you're following along, is work out your salvation. We'll deal with the fear and trembling in a minute. That's point two. But verse 12 is one of those verses that many of us have memorized through our Christian faith and quoted where it says that we, we are to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. And I don't know about you, but in my early days as a Christian, um, I, I questioned what that meant. I didn't always understand the principle of what it meant to work out my salvation. And if I'm really looking for principles, which is what I'm trying to do and what we're wanting to do through this book as we work through it, the advice here that Paul is giving us is really important as a principle for all of us. We need to understand what it means to work out our salvation. There are some who have quoted this in the past and imply that what Paul is saying is that in order to be saved, we need to work. We need to work hard at doing what we're supposed to do, otherwise we're not going to have salvation. There are those who have taught that, and I've heard messages about working out our salvation so that we are approved workers before Christ, blending scriptures to make it sound like it's very biblical and scriptural. But as I read through the whole of the New Testament, and old to be frank, it's... Ron... I'm not really frank, but anyway, to, but to be honest, um, it's not what I find Jesus, uh, the Paul meaning, and certainly not what Jesus taught. It's, it's not that we, we, nowhere in Scripture does it say that we have to, to do work to earn our salvation. In fact, that's what Paul quotes in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. It's not by being or doing work. We're not saved We're saved by doing work. We're saved through faith. And there's a good reason for that because, again, Paul says in in Ephesians, it's so that no one can have the boasting ability to say, you know what, I've done more work than you. I deserve to be in heaven more than you. And I need to be in a higher position in heaven because of you, or in spite of you, because I've worked so hard. Working for our salvation is not the criteria of getting into heaven. In fact, if that's what we're trying to do, we may never see the kingdom of heaven. 
And that's going to be hard for some because I think many in our country, in our world, have made the decision or have worked really hard at doing what's right to appease God. And it's not going to work that way. Working out for our salvation in that regard is never what Scripture has taught us. Work out your salvation, Paul says. And working out your salvation is vastly different from working for your salvation, which is the other side of it. And when Paul tells the believers of the Philippian church that they need to work out, and he tells us, by the way, that we need to work out our salvation, he's literally and quite simply explaining to them that they have a wonderful gift of salvation, so it needs to be, as it's been freely received, it needs to be displayed. It needs to be given back. It needs to be worked out. It needs to be on display for others to see. Just as you have and I have received the free gift of salvation by grace, through faith, not by works, so that no one can boast, just as I have received that, I want to now work it out, display it so that the glory of God might be seen. That's what Paul's talking about when he says, We need to work out our salvation. The actual Greek word that we translate as work out literally means to continually work to bring something to completion or fruition. It's a a passive, it's an ongoing verb that tells us, it suggests that it's never going to bring completion, but we continually work to display that and bring us toward that. It's ongoing. Our salvation is by faith. We need to understand very clearly that. But the gift, with the gift of salvation, we receive a whole new attitude and a whole new being, a whole new desire. And so when we receive this gift, we begin to work out our salvation. And what Paul is saying, when we do that, we should be actively pursuing obedience to the word of God. That's what it means to literally work out and continue to work out this salvation. Set apart to do his work. We are bond servants, willing and ready and eager to do his will. And we're going to display to the rest of the world, we're going to work out or to display the salvation that we have received freely so that others might also receive and God will get the glory. That's the the gospel in a nutshell. We can't do it on our own. We can't earn our salvation. That process of continually working out our salvation has another word that you might hear crop up from time to time. It's called sanctification, being set apart for God's work. And it simply means the process that is ongoing that is to, for us to be made holy or to be made in Christ's likeness, holiness. And Paul actually talks about this uh, in the next chapter when he says that he's straining and pressing on toward the goal of Christ-likeness in Philippians 3. We'll deal with that when we get to it. And that's what Paul is actually suggesting or introducing that theme right in this place for us in chapter 2. We need to press on. We need to strain toward. We need to make a concerted effort 
to become that which, which, we, which we were created to be. And we've spoken so often recently about the need to be uh, persevering, to endure to the end. But perseverance is, is and the lack of perseverance is where so many of us fall. We, it's kind of like on a trip to Rockhampton and you're walking, it's a long way if you're walking. It's not so far if you're in a car. It's even less if you're in a helicopter. It's exactly the same distance, by the way. But as you walk, and you pretend for a moment, imagine that you're walking to Rockhampton. And you don't actually know how far it is to Rockhampton. You're just decided, I'm going to walk, and I'm going to go to this next town. And you really don't know how far it is. But imagine if you, it's like, Let's round it off. 40 kilometres from here to somewhere in Rockhampton. Give it, give it, give or take a few kilometres. So let's say you get to 25 kilometres and you think, oh, I'm sick of this. Walk. But you, you persevere a little bit further and you endure. But the t- goings get t- harder and harder. You're getting tired. You're getting thirsty. And you get to 35 kilometres and you think, you know what? I'm just going to give up. So you turn around and you come home. You laugh, but that's what so many of us do in our Christian faith. When the going gets hard, we go back to the way we were before. That's exactly what we do. And it's crazy to think that we would not persevere to the end because it's the end that brings the reward. It's the the goal that we are pressing on and striving toward that we are on this journey with and for each other. And I think we need to understand that perseverance is really, really important. When the, the going gets hard, rather than pressing on, what we typically do is step back. But that's nowhere in Scripture is the principle that we are to follow. Working out our salvation is only possible as God continues to do the work in us that we receive by faith. It has nothing to do with our work, but it has everything to do with his work, the work that he's already done. And the, and the next part, of, or the next verse actually suggests that, because it says, work out your fear with fear and, uh, salvation with fear and trembling, verse 13, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do his good will, or his pleasure. He works in us for his will and his good pleasure. And because of what God is doing and he has done, our responsibility as a response to that is to work out or to put on display or to produce evidence of our salvation by allowing God to do the work in us that will bring glory and honour to him. That's the process. And it's only when we are reluctant to let God have his way with us that we are actually, what we're doing in that sense is trying to reclaim control back onto ourselves. It's, it's not the, pro, the appropriate response. As a Christian, the only proper response that we can have is to consistently and constantly be working out 
our salvation so that others may see the good works that we do and glorify our Father in heaven. That's what Matthew 5.16 says. We need to let our light shine so that others may see the things that we're doing and give glory to God. That's working out our salvation. So the first part of that is we need to understand working out versus working for. Working for is never going to work. Working out is a response to the free gift that you and I have already received, have we done that, having done that. Number two, fear and trembling. I said that before. The second part of that work, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. I'm telling you straight up that fear and trembling in this case does not mean that we have to be scared and timid. That's not what Paul is saying. He says, don't get around with your... (laughs) He's not saying, as Christians, we're not to hide ourselves away. We're not to be scared of what's going on. We're not to be worried and timid about being bold and courageous. In fact, we're supposed to be bold and courageous. So it's not about... Fear and trembling in this regard is not about being scared and timid. As we work out our salvation and we live as light in the world, the way that Jesus said we had to do in the darkness of the world that we're in, the last thing we should be doing is being fearful and timid or scared and timid. It's the last thing in the world. We have everything to be bold and courageous about because greater is he who is in you and me and us than he who is in this world. We have victory in Christ Jesus. We have everything to live for, nothing to lose. With, to live with Christ is gain. To die is even greater. We need to recognise who we are in Christ so that we can go into our world not with being scared and timid about who we are, even though the world is trying to make us follow that path. We stand with confidence knowing that God is greater and than he who is in the world. And we need to recognise that. The fear and trembling that Paul speaks about is the attitude that we are to have as his followers, Christ followers, in pursuing the path of Christ-likeness that we are all journeying on as Christians. We need to have a healthy bunch of fear of offending our Heavenly Father through disobedience. There is that kind of fear. We should never want to be disobedient. We need to have a healthy fear of offending God through disobedience and an awe and respect for His majesty and His holiness. There's the kind of fear we are talking about. As we work out our salvation, and as we live as children of the light, we do that in a way that is going to bring honour, that is going to bring glory, that is going to bring reverence, and it's going to bring worship to our Heavenly Father. We come even today, not because we have to make an appearance Not because we have to stand out in the crowd or to recognise, you know, I've, I've done my duty. We come as a way of reverence to honour our King. I pray that's why we're here. And for those that are unable to be here, I pray that that's why we're watching and why we're looking and bowing before him at this moment at home or wherever. 
this reverence will sometimes express itself in a, in a trembling of our recognition and our understanding of who he is, the higher purpose to which we have been called as his children. We've been given authority above all other things that transfer across this world that we have the authority under God of being and being called his sons. We have an authority that is equal to nothing else as his children. And we should be fearful and trembling as we face him. When we give our hearts to the Lord Jesus Christ, we are called to serve him as our master and as a bond servant. And we enter into the very presence of God to, to do his work and to direct all the work and all the glory and all the honour and all the praise toward him. That's why we exist. Last week, uh, we read Philippians 2.3, Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in loneliness of mind, let each one esteem others better than yourselves. That's willingness. That's the willingness for us to recognise that he alone is God and we are not. And while we might, may well be adopted into his family as his children, he needs and must always be honoured and respected out of fear and awe of who he is. Let's not come in, in a complacent way before our Heavenly Father. That's what worship is all about. It's coming before him with humble hearts, in humility and offering to him a sacrifice of praise for the simple reason that he deserves that, for no other reason other than he alone is worthy. This fear and trembling that Paul speaks about is consistent with the, and, and necessary because of the high acts of faith that, we have, been that have been placed upon us. And we can have trust and confidence and worship and joy of knowing him. It's not fear or being scared and timid because that brings pride and vain glory. So let's glorify him. Serve the Lord. Psalm 2. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Isn't that interesting? Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. It's a place where we come to complete dependency upon our Heavenly Father, where obedience and submission to Him is our desire. It's not just to please man anymore or even to, to make ourselves look good in any respect, but we come because He deserves that honour and that glory. It will leave us with a sense of remorse when we know, have knowingly been disobedient to him. It will leave us feeling like we've let him down when we have dishonoured him or stepped away from him, which is not a bad place to be because that should realistically bring us to a point of confession and coming back toward him. It brings us to our knees so that we can be restored and it will be then that we will come to a place of contentment and safety when we're faced with difficulties knowing that he is with us and he is guiding us. That's what happens when we come before 
our Heavenly Father, whose presence enough will cause us to fall to our knees. His very presence will cause us to fall flat on our face. I am absolutely confident of that. How do, why do I think that? Because even the angels caused people to fall flat on their face. And God is far bigger, far greater, far more authority. So if when we are confronted with that, we will find ourselves coming face to face with the glory of God and to our knees we will go at the very least. With fear, honour, awe and trembling. The whole concept of fear and trembling addresses how we ought to be before our Heavenly Father and how we should be respectful before Him in our worship. Not just being ourselves, but we come before Him as we worship Him. Last one. We pick up another few verses, Philippians 2 through, uh, 2, 14 through 17, but it's faithful obedience. It starts right at the beginning. But Paul tells the Philippians or recognises that they've been faithfully following his teaching whether he's been with them or not. I love that part of the scripture here. I think that's, that's something that I would like to think that we would all attain to. Following a teacher's instruction, whether they're present or not, is the ultimate test of loyalty. And the Philippian Christians have done exactly that. That's what Paul says. You've done it whether I was there or not. You've continued on in your faith. That's the test of loyalty. And during their years apart, Paul's distance from the Philippian church, they, they had stayed connected with Paul even because when we get to chapter 4, we'll read a whole bunch of stuff that talks about where they had provided him with financial support and a whole heap of other things that helped him in the ministry along the way. So even though they were separated by distance, they were still connected. And they had been faithfully doing what they had been called to do. And Paul commends the church for their faithful obedience, not just when Paul was with them, but even in his absence. And it's not just an indication of obedience at that point, it's actually a, a, an indication or a test of integrity. For us as Christians, integrity is measured by who we are when no one is watching. Are we going to stay true to our word even though no one's going to check up on us? Are we going to do what we say even if it doesn't matter if no one finds out if we've been faithful in that? Integrity is staying true to your word regardless of what's taking place. And I guess that's a question I need to ask myself and maybe you need to ask yourselves. Are we willing to do the right thing even when there is no one there to catch up with us or to oversee what we're doing? Apparently, the Philippian church was. How did Paul encourage the church then to behave as a result of that faithful? He goes on in 14 to 17, Do everything without complaining and disputing, that you might become blameless and harmless children of God, without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you shine as lights. Continue doing what you're doing and just be a light to the nation. 
The attitude that you have toward each other is going to reflect outward. The attitude that you have to those outside is going to reflect outward. Everything that you do is going to display the glory of God and it's going to shine a light in the world that is dark. And light and darkness cannot coexist in a physical sense or a spiritual sense. And Paul even says, even if I'm being poured out, even if I'm being put to death for what I'm doing, your faith is of service is still going to go on, and I'm grateful for that. Integrity. I'm glad that you will do that, and I rejoice with you, he says. And that's the essence of faithful obedience. Faithful obedience to our Lord is behaving in a manner that's going to bless him. And when we read the verse last week as to Jesus' humility, remember that whole passage of, of Jesus' humility who came in the form of a bondservant submitting to the Father, even to the point of death, the death on a cross. One of the most brutal and painful ways of death. We have, what did Paul say we needed to have? Let the mind of Christ or the attitude of Christ be in you also. That's a big ask, or it's a significant ask. Humility, integrity, obedience, they all go hand in hand. So faithful obedience means that we'll behave in a manner that is going to be God-honoring, even when there's no one there to check up on us. Whether we're alone in our bedroom or on the computer, whether we're at work or we're walking on the beach or we're reading a book, we're having a holiday, whether we're watching TV, whether we're doing exercise, whether we're daydreaming, whether we're mowing the lawn, whatever we're doing, it doesn't matter if we, whether someone's there to watch over us or not. The question we need to be having on our mind, am I doing or am I being obedient, faithfully obedient to the work that God has called me to do? That will mean, as Paul says, doing things without complaining, even though they might not be enjoyable at the time. We do things without complaining, not needing to be first or not needing to be the one that's recognised or praised or, or, or regarded in some wonderful way or rewarded in some particular way. It will mean that we need to, and must need to keep going until he comes, until he stops us, until we drop it means that we need to preach the word, whether it's with voice or actions or both. We need to do that until he comes. Why? Because we're disciples of Jesus. Having the mind of Christ in all humility, he gave up his rights to be with the King, the, uh, his heavenly Father and entered into this planet, giving up his rights as Lord and King humbled himself so that w and endured the cross, even the death of a, on the cross, so that you and I might have eternal reward with him. He deserves the, re deserves the praise. He deserves the honour. We're disciples of his. He is the master. We are the servants. We've, we, at one point, if you have accepted the Lord Jesus Christ, what we did at that point was willingly give the control of our life to him. So therefore, he has every right to tell us what he wants us to do. When we said, Lord Jesus, come into my life. 
You take over. You fill me. You use me. You take me on the journey that you want me to be on. Many of us have done that. But when the going gets hard, we we turn around and say, yeah, not this one. Not now. Or can I do it later? Um, I'll just go back. It's easier to do. It got harder since I came to know the Lord Jesus Christ. It's easy to go back. It's easy to do what's right when everyone applauds it. It's easy to stay on the right path when there's no opposition and populous opinion is in our favour. It's always easy to follow our, the, our gut when everyone's encouraging us to do it and we're on that path of public opinion. But what happens when no one supports us? Our faithfulness to Christ, even when it seems like no one else stands with us, will reveal the true state of our heart, the true state of the decision that we've made, whether we are people of integrity and willing to be faithfully obedient. And while we might not know, we we don't know who wrote Psalm 119, it is full of passages or verses recognising and the need for us to stand firm on his word. I want to read just three. The proud have forged a lie against me, but I will keep your precepts until my, with my whole heart. Psalm 119.78, Let the proud be ashamed, for they treated me wrongfully with falsehood. And your commandments are faithful, and they persecute me wrongfully. And help me, he says in Psalm 119.86, and there's many, many, many others in that, power, in that chapter, along with other parts of Scripture. There is no guarantee that when we are faithfully obedient to our Lord and King, that we will resp- receive the support of anybody. No guarantee at all. But we're still called to live holy lives in the response to the decision to submit to the Lord Jesus Christ. As 1 Peter 1 says, so as obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lusts as in your ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in your conduct. God honouring in your conduct. Elevating God in the way that we live, in the things that we do, because he who called us is holy. And as a Christian, I have an obligation to be faithfully obedient to him, as do you. And when we're able to endure trials and tribulations, what that does as we get through to the end of that, it proves our authenticity of our faith. We are strengthened with that. When we endure them and remain faithful through being faithfully obedient to him, we demonstrate the authenticity of our trust in, our, in the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, James reminds us that we are to rejoice in our trials. He says, count it all joy when you fall into various kinds of trials. Why? Because it's a testing of faith that produces patience. Thank you, Lord, for this. This is a means by which you are allowing me to gain an, an added ability to be patient through, endure, through difficulties. Thank you for that, you, that you love me. Despite what I see happening, you love me so much that you want me to be able to trust you more. 
And here's the problem, though. When we focus on all the ways in which we can't serve God, we're crippled by fears and possible personal failures. That's the other side of the fear and trembling, when we think of all the things we can't do. But when we focus on the Lord Jesus Christ, when we focus on our Heavenly Father, the one who called us, we can trust that he will do the work that which he has begun and he will bring it to completion. And we are to walk in the ways that he's called us. Our job is to walk faithfully in faithful obedience to him, not proving ourselves to one another or even to God, but faithfully following him in the places that he's called us to go. We don't have to prove ourselves to God. We just have to honour him and be obedient and show our love to him in the way that we act. The church at Philippi was commended for always obeying, not just in Paul's presence, but even more in his absence. And it's that attitude we need to do in our work. Colossians 3 says, whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance, for you serve the Lord Jesus Christ. But he who does wrong will be repaid for what he has done, and there is no partiality. So as slaves of the Lord Jesus Christ, bondservants of our Heavenly Father, we are to always be faithfully obedient, and we are to exhort ourselves before him. Paul through Titus talks about exhort bondservants to be obedient to their own masters, to be well-pleasing in all things, not answering back, not pilfering, but showing all fidelity that they might adorn the doctrine of God, our Saviour of all things. Exhort bondservants, that's you and I, to be obedient to their master, that's the Lord Jesus Christ, to be pleasing to him in doing all things, not answering back, not being disobedient, not taking things that really aren't ours, but showing all good fidelity before our Heavenly Father. So as bondservants, working out our salvation with fear and trembling, not under compulsion, but being faithfully obedient, even when no one is looking. That ought to be the desire and the focus for our Christian living. No matter what takes place, nothing ought to be more prioritised than knowing and living out our salvation. Living out that salvation in the way that we live as Christians before those who are in our community. And in Titus 2, Paul encourages Titus the same way. He said, we should live in this world with such wisdom, with wisdom, righteousness and devotion to God. And while we look forward with hope to the wonderful day when the glory of our great God and Saviour Jesus Christ will be revealed, he gave his life to free us from every kind of sin, to cleanse us and to make us his very own people, totally committed to doing good deeds. You, Titus, must teach these things and encourage the believers to do them. You have, we have, the authority to correct when necessary. So don't let anyone disregard you when you say, disregard what you say, sorry. So I want to encourage you today that we understand this principle of working out our salvation 
that's a public display to our community and the effects that that will have on those that listen, but also the effects that it will have on our approach, the way that we come before the throne of grace. When we are working out our salvation and being faithfully obedient to that, when we come with fear and trembling before our God, we will come with a clear conscience and we'll be able to accept and receive all that God is wanting us to have. In fact, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna sing a song first, but we're going to have communion today. And the essence of Paul deals with this also in Corinthians, but in the essence of this is that we come to this table with a clear mind and clear conscience. Paul actually tells us that if we should come to the table and we've got a problem or we've got an issue with a brother or a sister, just leave it for today. Go and sort it out and make a phone call if you have to do that. Go and visit if you've got to do that. Go and see them. Whatever needs to take place, go and sort it out and then come back. And if it's during the week, that's fine. We'll do that together. But if you've got an issue with a brother or sister, I want to tell you, just leave this today. If you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and Saviour, don't take communion today. No one's going to judge you on that. No one's going to... You shouldn't feel offended by, if, by what people think or do. That's their problem, by the way. But as we come, those that want to share in the holy communion of this bread and, and we have grape juice, but it was wine in the, in the test, New Testament. As we come together to celebrate that, let us remember who we are coming before. Let's come with fear and trembling, not wanting to put burning coals upon our own life. We're going to be held accountable, by the way, at the end of our life when we stand before our master. We're going to be held accountable to what we were called to do on this planet. What we've done will have or will be of little consequence if we've not been obedient to what God has called us. That's the bottom line. You can be busy doing a lot of good things, but if it's not what God has called you to do, it's going to count for pretty much zero when it's stand before him. Faithfully being obedient. Coming before our Heavenly Father in humility, having the same mind as Christ, willing to do whatever it takes to fully serve our King. So may God bless you this week as you serve him, as you faithfully work out your salvation, displaying it for the world as lights shine in this dark world, as you shine as stars amidst the people of this generation. I pray that you will shine and give glory to our Heavenly Father, that he will get the glory in everything. And you have the victory in Christ Jesus today. May God bless you. Father, I thank you for your will and desire for us to know you. I thank you for your faithful love that has endured through all things that we have done to you. There is nothing and there is no one who has 
done exactly right. But Father, you've, you've loved us regardless. And so I pray today for your blessing upon this group of people. And Lord, if you're working in people's lives, and I believe you are, there are some here today, Father, who need you to be closer to their heart than what you are at the moment. I know, Father, that you are prompting people as we, as we stand or sit or whatever we do at this moment in time. I pray, Father, that you would give us the courage to come to before you now with fear and trembling. To be faithfully obedient to do the work that you've called us to do as we display and work out our salvation before you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.